We open our Bibles together this morning to the Word of God in Psalm 45. Psalm 45, the text on this occasion of baptism will be the last two, 16 and 17, which are really the crown of the psalm or the calling that comes from the psalm. This psalm is a unique psalm. It's somewhat, if you're familiar with Psalm 72 and Psalm 45, they're both psalms of David uh, prepared for the marriage or the coronation of his son Solomon. Um, We read in the intro to the psalm here, to the chief musician upon Shoshanim. Shoshanim is a lily-shaped trumpet. So it's referring to the tone and the, uh, of the instrument for the singing of this psalm. It's written for the sons of Korah, who sang in the temple. Mishael, that is, it's a psalm to impart a lesson. And then David entitles it a song of love. The song is about a marriage, and ultimately it's about the marriage of Christ and his church. So verse 1 will give us the introduction to the psalm of what he's thinking about. And then 2 through 8 will be a description of the groom or Christ. And then 9 through 15, which we just sang, those verses, 9 through 15 will be a description of the bride. And then verses 16 and 17 is the calling that we have this morning as a result. So reading God's word, reading carefully with our mind on the scriptures, Psalm 45. My heart is indicting or composing a good matter. I will speak of the things which I have made touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Now the bridegroom. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. Therefore God hath blessed thee forever. Gird thy sword upon thy thigh, O most mighty, with thy glory and thy majesty. And in thy majesty ride prosperously because of truth and meekness and righteousness. And thy right hand shall teach thee terrible things. Thine arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies whereby the people fall under thee. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. All thy garments, speaking of the groom, all thy garments smell of myrrh, and aloe, and cassia, out of the ivory palaces, whereby they have made thee glad. Now the bride and her attendants. King's daughters were among thy honorable women. Upon thy right hand did stand the queen in gold of Ophir. Hearken, O daughter, and consider And incline thine ear, forget also thy own people and thy father's house. 
so shall the king greatly desire thy beauty, for he is thy Lord, and worship thou him. And the daughter of Tyre shall be there with a gift, even the rich among the people shall entreat thy favor. The king's daughter is all glorious within, her clothing is of wrought gold. She shall be brought unto the king in raiment of needlework, the virgins her companions that follow her shall be brought unto thee. With gladness and rejoicing shall they be brought. They shall enter into the king's palace. And now coming out of that vision, these words of our text, exhortation to us, instead of thy fathers shall be thy children, whom thou mayest make princes in all the earth, I will make thy name to be remembered in all generations, therefore shall the people praise thee forever. And God seal to our hearts the whole psalm and seal to our hearts now verses 16 and 17. Devon, Erica, the weight of the Word of God in verses 16 and 17 to you this morning is that you must take the place of your parents who are present this morning and grandparents who are present and you now must be the generation that serves the Lord and in turn brings up another generation in your arms who will remember the name of the Lord. The passage is speaking of the fact that the glory of Christ is to be transposed and transmitted from generation to generation in all generations. You are part, as a young couple in our church, you are part of a generation that God has blessed Georgetown with, of many young couples who have joined or have grown up in this church with children and with a budding or a beginning marriage with children. And it is the word of God here is the word to you that now you are becoming and are that generation to replace in the church, the generation of your parents, and that to you is committed the glory and the majesty of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you are to lead the church as the bride of Christ, testifying of Jesus Christ in all of his glory. Instead, God says to you, instead of thy fathers, the generation before you, shall be thy children, the generation after you, that you, your generation, may make them to be princes in all the earth. You are assuming the place of leadership of the cause of God and of the people of God in the earth. And in turn, you, as young couples... Do you have children sitting next to you, toddlers? Do you have 
young people sitting next to you? Do you have someone in the nursery? God is speaking specifically here to you that you are to be now that generation to represent the cause of Christ on the earth to maintain the truth, to have the great gospel of grace shine in this world. And the comfort is the last verse that God will always preserve the next generation on earth. That there will always be a succeeding generation of the church on earth. Or that the church, the comfort is that God's church will stand through all ages. Even in this age. Even in an age of apostasy. Even in the age of persecution is perhaps the generation of our toddlers and children and young people. Is this the generation upon which the end of the world will come. God says he will preserve that generation. So may both the weight of the passage, of the calling of the next generation, and may also the comfort of the passage fall on our hearts. I call your attention to, instead of the fathers, shall be thy children. And I'd like to point out to you that it's referring to a passing generation, that it's emphasizing the present generation being formed, and then it comforts us that the church endures in all generation. So if you have the psalm open, it would be very helpful to you to keep the psalm open this morning. And as we begin to see this passing generation, we need to see, first of all, the connection of verses 16 and 17 to the entire psalm. We need to look a little bit at Psalm 45, if only briefly. As I mentioned, it's a very unique psalm, and it reminds us much of the Song of Solomon. It's a psalm of David written for the marriage of Solomon, his son, and it's describing a royal wedding. Now, there are many different interpretations that we won't get into, Some say that it's the marriage of Solomon and the daughter of Pharaoh as the bride was called to forsake her own people. Others will say it was written by David over one of his marriages, but those type of interpretations are simply short-sighted, and we must must not be short-sighted, and we must not have double vision. We must not spend our time so much on the time of David and Solomon, but we must see very clearly that the Holy Spirit in this psalm takes over David and that David is prophesying poetically of Christ and the church or that simply in this psalm from verses 2 through 15, we have God's one dear work in time and that one dear work of God is through his son preparing a church, a bride for himself to fellowship with, that's us, eternally. As I said, verses 2 through 9 prophetically and poetically picture 
our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you read today and meditate on verses 2 through 8, you will recognize him. Faith recognizes him. Verse 2, one that is fairer than the children of men, into whose mouth grace is poured. No man ever spake like Jesus Christ. Verses 3 through 5, he is the one who is sent to conquer, to perform the work of God, to gird his sword and ride forth in truth and majesty and righteousness. He comes to perform a holy warfare against the enemies of our sin and death. And he is equipped with majesty as the Son of God and with meekness. Verses 6 through 7. Thy throne, O God, he's called God, is forever and ever. Thy scepter is a right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness. Therefore God hath anointed thee with oil. He is anointed of God to be the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is enthroned on God's throne. And then verse 8. Such a beautiful verse about if you just consider Christ. All thy garments smell of myrrh and aloe and casia out of the ivory palaces whereby they have been made, made thee glad. He came out of the ivory palaces. Jesus Christ came from God, from heaven. And his adornment, his robes were the scent. He came with the scent upon him of aloe, that's healing mercies, of myrrh, of his coming death, acacia, cinnamon, a sweet, refreshing smell. Then in verses 9 through 14, it speaks of the queen, the bride of the church. And very briefly, we learn already in verse 9 that the queen, the church, is given a place to stand at Christ's right hand. And that the king, the queen is composed of the king's daughters. God's daughters are the maids of honor of the church. And then verses 10 through 12 describe her as she's composed of those who are taken out of thy own people. Verse 10, forget thy own people. And later on it refers to others who are coming to be composing of the church. So it's talking of Christ taking the church out of the world, or royal bride, give heed, and to my word attend. For Christ the King was the, was the interpretation of the Psalter of, that, of those words. For Christ the King forsake the world and every former friend. Verses 13 through 15 speak of the beauty of the church, of the bride of Christ. She is glorious within her clothing is of priceless gold and carefully knitted and brought together the righteousness, the merits of Jesus Christ. And now this queen prepared for her husband is going to be brought in to a royal marriage. That's God's purpose. So in the psalm we see the church as the bride of Christ prepared for the wedding to be with her husband. And that's why I said the psalm is simply about God's one work in time of preparing for his son, Jesus Christ, his own treasure, which is his church, gathered from all the world and brought in 
That was the emphasis of verses 14 and 15. We shall be brought in. We don't do this of ourselves, but we are drawn by that wonderful grace of Christ. And then in verse 16, it says, if the trance, I'm referring to David's prophesying and poetical vision of the gathering of the church of Christ. It's as if that trance now is broken and he comes back to the moment and he says, instead of thy fathers shall be thy children whom thou mayest make princes in all the earth. And the connection is that the elect bride of Jesus Christ gathered out of all time is formed and continues in the way of generation to generation of believers and their children. The church is being gathered, the bride of Christ is being gathered on the earth through the faithful transmission of the truth of the gospel from one generation to the next. That's the point of the text. In the way of that transmission, instead of thy fathers shall be thy children whom thou mayest make princes in all from generation to generation. And that's all of the scriptures. Repeatedly, God speaks of his covenant as from generation to generation through the faithful transmission. Blessed by the Holy Spirit, for sure. But the calling of each generation to carry forward the majesty of the gospel of Christ, to carry forward the heart of the church to the next generation, to prayerfully seek to in place in the hearts of the next generation, in their hearts, the church, the bride of Christ, Christ's work now in this present time. Here with us, from generation to generation, you know your grandparents. You know your great-grandparents, perhaps. Your father. And you have you your children with you, generation to generation. This also applies to missions. We have been blessed in these generations. Many children of God have not been blessed this way in India. That's the first generation by God's wonderful grace being called through the work that we are acquainted with in India, Pastor Raj, but then is being transmitted already to the next generation. How is this precious church gathered? This bride of Christ, how does she come out of the world of all ages? This way. From generation to generation. That's the point. And therefore, instead of thy fathers, in the place of thy fathers, shall be thy children, whom, the calling of the present generation, thou mayest make princes in all the earth. 
Each generation to the next shall testimony bear of thy great name. That's the point. And so the point is that we are growing up, and all of us by grace pretty much here have grown up with the blessing of a passing generation, a generation that weak and sinful, we come to know that about them and about ourselves, but nevertheless, by God's grace, brought us to the feet of Jesus where we could be instructed in his word and the saving grace of God worked in us. And that generation speaks to us Instead of thy fathers, in the place of your fathers now, you, their children, must carry forth this work so that there is another spiritual seed formed in, by you in your generation, from one generation to the next. That's the history of God's covenant. The book of Judges, you will remember, will tell us exactly what happens when a generation does not do that, does not teach their children, and does not bring them up, and how God chastens and yet restores and continues His covenant from generation to generation. Now there is a line, there is a generation then that is becoming, I'll say extinct. They are passing away. That generation among us is called in the text, our fathers. Those who nurtured us and led and guarded and protected us and molded us in the faith of Jesus Christ. That generation of our fathers is here. I'm part of that. And the text does refer to them that until you die, your place is not over. You're still, you're still transferring that, perhaps in a different way. That when we get older, life is not about retirement and vacations and ease and Florida, not because that's not nice or perfectly good to do, but in our hearts as fathers in that generation, the older generation here, must also have a burning desire and love for the coming generations as we see that our time becomes short and as we face in our days many afflictions and sorrows, we must be mindful of the generations coming to us. That's where our eye must be, our heart must be, and we must see that they are still looking to us as God tries us, as God works in our life, and they need to see in us that steadfast hope, that solemn purpose of our our life for God and for His church. And so the passing generation, there's a word here, we need to be on our knees. We need to see how important to the cause of God is our life as elder and deacon in this church. That's very important, and we need to pray for them. We need to pray for them and thank God for them in their work. And we must see ourselves as the passing, the passing generation of our calling. But now the emphasis of the text is falling upon 
the generation following. And instead of thy fathers, you, the younger generation here, by God's grace, formed in this church, God formed it. Instead of them, you now hold that responsibility, hold that place as church of God on earth. Not as members of a movement, not as members of a cultural expression, as the church, the bride of Christ on earth. And that means your generation, the younger couples, that means that our hearts must be committed to the cause of the church and the truths of God and to walking a Christian life in the world and to the great challenge of holding the light of the gospel in this present age in the world. And that God keep us in our hearts from simply nodding in our hearts to all of these things. Yes, yes, the church here has been for, for many years. And yes, it looks like we're coming to those places of leadership and responsibility. God, burn, give to our hearts a burning love for the church here and a strength to resist the world which says to us, well, the church of your fathers is an antiquated thing. It's really, it's really a totally irrelevant thing. You need to redefine. What you ought to do is just go redefine the whole business. No. Instead of thy fathers, that which God gave to your fathers, that which is true according to God's word, the church as it is founded in the word, you must now carry that calling forward. And so the point is, as a coming generation, as a passing generation too, no exclusions, but especially as a coming generation, do we feel that Wait, that blessing. Are we, do we know our identity? We are the church of God in the world. Instead of thy fathers shall be thy children whom thou mayest make princes in all the earth. That is, the younger generation here is the generation which will be the instruments of God to form the future generation. You got three generations here. You got the fathers. You got the generation that is uh, taking their place. And then you have their children. You got three generations. And the point of the text is that now the, you as the new generation are the ones who will be instrumental in preparing the next generation. And maybe that will be the generation that will see Jesus on the clouds 
I want to be very careful in those words because I can remember as a teenager, a young teenager, a minister, revered, wonderful man, I won't say his name, but I can remember him saying, it might have been sometime in 1970 or before, saying from the pulpit, I can't see how the world could continue for another 20 years. So I want to avoid that. You watch, you see, but I'll say for myself, I'll ask, are our little ones that generation that is appointed of God to represent him and his church in the last day? Whether or not the calling is the same, Your generation is to make your children princes on the earth. A prince is a son of a king. So our children, by God's grace, our little boys and girls, our teenagers, who your generation is called to train, are royalty. Royalty. They are prince and princesses. Stetson is a prince. Now, we have to understand that Rightly, they have no royalty in themselves. And we remember the first question that was asked in baptism. Do you believe that your children are conceived and born in sin and subject to all miseries, to condemnation itself? And the answer was to that was, yes, we do believe that. And we understand that our children have depraved natures. And we understand further that that depraved nature came to them honestly. It came from us. And so we come to see and grieve that sinful nature in our sons and our daughters. But the point is that God has promised, according to his election and grace, to work in the hearts of our children, and that in them he has his, our daughters and our kings of this king, Jesus Christ, princes and princesses. We must understand that of, our, of themselves, our children with us are born, are born paupers. We are on the streets of sin. We are corrupt and ruled by Satan, but that they are sanctified in Christ. That God, by the Holy Spirit, is transforming them under our care. This is our prayer that the Lord will build the house. What do we want for our children? We want salvation. We want the grace of God. We want a genuine, full Christian life. We want them to stand as daughters and sons of the King Jesus in this world. And so the calling is, raise these children up as to be the church in your place to serve him, to love him, to know his truth, to hold fast to that truth in the world. Not to be the world, not to be conformed to the world, not, we don't bring up our children trying to be like the world. We warn them, we teach them against the world. We seek to impart the zeal and the love of Christ in their hearts. But there's more. Not only must we make them 
as kings, we must treat them as king, as the king's children. We must hold our children as the king's children, put into on our hearts the responsibility of our calling. But the calling is this, that I will make thy name, the king's name, to be remembered. We want the name of Jesus, the king, to be remembered in our children. There, there are, for some of us my age, there are grandchildren as a congregation. But your generation must be geared as parents with this, that his name is remembered and not forgotten and not erased from this world and from them. His name here refers to his fame. I will make thy name how thou art known, who thou art to be remembered. His name is his character. His name is the Holy Son of God. His name is righteous and true. His name is that he is God. His name that he is Savior, only Savior, only good. His name is that he's gathering by grace his church. That's his name. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. We belong to him by his grace. We received that testimony again in baptism of his cleansing blood. So that the coming, this generation, your generation now, being blessed with children, is to see to it that his name is remembered and honored in the life of your children. That not the name, the family name, is honored. Not the name of a sports player or of a pop singer. That these are the names that their hearts are embracing, but that the name of Jesus Christ and his work and the Savior of the church, his truth, that these be the things that are in their heart and shape the thoughts of their mind. This world and our culture does not know the name of Jesus Christ and does not want to know the name of Jesus Christ. Our culture does not want to know the names of anyone in the past, but is a culture unto itself. They have put up their own idols and their own stars and their own models for children to follow. And in their youngest books, they're teaching the children what to follow. But you may be sure that they will have nothing but disdain. Apart from grace, that's what we are. Disdain for this precious name of Jesus. But grace has come. And there's a name above all names. 
that we want imprinted on the hearts of our children. The name of him who is the only way to the Father, who is the only good for the soul, who alone in this world has peace and joy and rest. He's the only one who can help me and all others are vain. You must have his name to be remembered in your children. I want to speak here a moment to young people and to all of us about temptation. And I want to talk to the children as well, and but all of us. I want to talk to talk about here addictions or any sin. And I want to make this as simple, because I need to have it simple when I fight against temptation, because I get all twisted with all kinds of thoughts, and so it has to be simple for me. And here's what temptation is. Temptation is when you are tempted to forget his name. Take the name of Jesus Christ and just put it aside now. Oh yes, we've been brought up and we know his name, but right now you can just compartmentalize and put that name somewhere else. The devil and our flesh and the world wants just one thing. Will you erase from your life and from your mind right now? We'd want it all the way out, but for right now, just erase his name. Forget his name. Claim temporary amnesia that you don't know the name of Jesus. Lie. Just forget for a moment about Jesus because the consequences of what you've done, you don't want to suffer. So just lie. Cheat. Curse. Take his name in vain. Which means really, you've forgotten his name. Just temporarily put that name aside. Pornography. Drunkenness. Just put the name of, erase the name for a little while to have your pleasures, and then you can come back to his name. Forget his name. Erase his name. Explode in anger as a parent. Live in lust. Hate. Abuse others in your life. Forsake your calling in your marriage. You can't continue this in this way. Forget his name. But what is his name? His name is faithful and true. Faithful and true to you. His name is Lord, Savior, King, Redeemer. His name is lover of my soul. His name is everything. Don't forget his name. And this is the calling of the present generation. 
Don't forget his name. For that name, and this is our encouragement, that name will be remembered to all generations. Verse 17, I will make thy name to be remembered in all generations. The I there is God. God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit, God the Father, will see to it that the name of Jesus Christ, the Son, is never erased from this earth, the name of Jesus. Because he says concerning him, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And what he has done on the cross, and his salvation, and his name, will never be forgotten on this earth. God says that. God says the world cannot and the world will not erase the name of Jesus Christ. God says a faithful church shall serve him to generations and his name shall be recounted to generations yet to be. A newborn world as the coming generation shall serve him. The name of the gospel, the name of Jesus Christ, the truth of God, the church, his name is not entrusted to human guardianship. It's entrusted to God himself and God will work in the hearts of children and children's children in the hearts of men and women in the mission field as the gospel goes forth and all ages, even to the last age, under the very nose of the Antichrist, his name shall be confessed and known on this earth. There shall be a people, says the text, that praise thee forever and ever. The church is not going anywhere. No heresy will destroy her. No apostasy will finish her. No weakness and no sin or failure in us who love him and who mourn those failures will finish the church. God's bride will stand against the malice of hell and the power of the world a faithful church, a faithful church, not a remade church, a faithful church from the generations before, shall serve him. She will not be blotted out. The question is not, is God's true church going to be erased from the world? That's not the question. It's not going to be. The question is, will we, by grace, through humility and love, faithfully name him and confess his name? Be encouraged. Be encouraged here as young couples, families with teenagers and children. Be encouraged instead of your fathers, but they're still here. Listen to what they say to you. What do they say? 
we say to you, God is faithful. God is faithful. Live with confidence that the church is going to be brought to Christ in the end. Live in the confidence that God will work in you and through you. That his name will be named by your children. Amen. Father, we have spoken in weakness. We pray that thou wilt use it in power. We have touched eternal, sacred, beautiful, amazing things. And we have fallen far short in word or in heart to comprehend them. Write the word by the Holy Spirit. May the Holy Spirit give us this morning to say too, I am indicting a good matter. I will speak of what the Spirit has showed me of Christ and his church. Bless this young couple and all the families of our church and all the single member and the aged. Bless us all according to thy goodness. Amen.